have a startup, right? Like I'm not trying to go public. I'm not trying to do those things. I've built a really nice, uh, healthy business that's more than a lifestyle business. But, um, you know, I love the fact that I'm home for my kids every day and all those kinds of things. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Richard Harris. He is teaching reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask, and when to do it as the primary growth driver behind his NEAT, N-E-A-T, selling methodology. 20 plus years of experience. He's got clients that include Gainsight, Google Cloud, Sales Loft, and others. He brings a liberal arts degree in School of Life to sales. He's been a full cycle account executive, SDR, sales manager, director of sales, you name it. He's done it. Richard, you ready to take us to the top? Thank you. That was a long, in- I hate my introductions. No, I, mean, good. I mean, I have to caveat this by saying I get consultants ask me all the time to come on the show because they sell to SaaS companies and I always say no. The reason I dug deeper on you is because I've, I've interviewed a lot of the founders that you've worked with and I know some of their sales motions and they're sometimes unique or different. So if you're sort of the whisperer for this kind of thing, I said, you know what, we're going to have Richard on. So thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Like I, I, I know I'm not probably your normal Yes. So thank you so much. I really am flattered to be here. So when do you usually get involved with SaaS companies? I mean, can you talk maybe about Gainsight? Like how early do you get involved typically? Gainsight is a really fun story. I'll give you the short version. I had one client in Austin. It was my first client. I was using a Yahoo email address. I'm flying back from Austin my first week. I sit down on the plane next to this guy, literally in suede shoes and jeans and a blazer. And it's Nick Maida from Gainsight. This is 11 years ago, 12 years, nah, eight years ago, nine years ago. And they had 15 employees, right? He and I had this amazing conversation. We got shushed by the flight attendant twice. Um, and we were sober. We weren't drinking at all. We were just having a good time. And, you know, you know, the biggest mistake I made in that deal is I, I should have taken options. But uh, mm. that's so that is an instance where I got in really early to build. 2011. Right. Um, other twenty eleven. Say that again, Nathan. When did you start with Gainsight? Twenty eleven. Yeah, I think so. Right around the time they were founded, right? So, no, it's probably twenty thirteen because I've been doing this nine years ish. So it was right after I started doing this. Okay, so. great. And what did it look like? I mean, how did Nick engage you? Was it a retainer? Were you actually a full time employee? What did it look like? No, it was it was a, a retainer engagement for about thirty days. 
um, where I came in and really built out the process and trained the whole team. They, they really got the concept early of that everybody sells, even the accounting department, right? Like how you treat your vendors matters. Um, and the content I teach is very tactical. So if I'm teaching, I, I don't want to get into a pitch, but if I'm teaching certain tactical things, it always becomes relevant no matter the role, sales, SDR, customer success. Got it. And, and so what did Nick pay you for that 30-day trial? I'm sorry? What did Nick pay you for that 30-day trial back in 2013? What did they pay me? Yeah. Uh, a healthy five figures. Okay, healthy five figures. So does it stop or do people continue working with you typically? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's very different now, particularly because of COVID. Uh, it used to be the traditional show up, do a day of training, maybe one or two coaching sessions. Because of COVID, we shifted to a five-week training and reinforcement model. Um, I'm conscious of sounding pitchy, so please stop me, Nathan. I will. Um, so uh, where we spend the first week doing two hours a day, four days in a row. So like Monday through Thursday, we do two hours, which allows for micro-learning, greater, greater reinforcement, greater retention. And then for the next four weeks, I do once-a-week meetings with both the managers and then once-a-week meetings with the sales team so that it now is a much different engagement. With Gainsight, it was totally different because they wanted me on site listening to calls. You know, it was a completely different game. Um, you know, they were my second client. Like, you know, thank you so much to Nick for, you know, taking a shot on a guy with a Yahoo email address in the day. So, um, so that's what it looks like now because now it's, it's always been, but now I've built out the reinforcement piece. And right? so what is that monthly cost now, you know, during COVID? What are customers paying you on average? Uh, or for something like that, it's around 18, give or take. 1800 um, a month? Yeah, for the five-week room. And so, and, and I don't charge by the hour and I don't charge by the head. So like, if you got a, you know, if you got a team of 20, I'm gonna, it's the same as if you got a team of 10. Yep. Right. And are these all SaaS teams or are you go across industries? It's mostly SaaS. It's mostly SaaS. It's not all, some of the fortune companies are different, right? Um, you know, Google was Google Cloud, so it was like their AWS service. So kind of SaaS, but kind of not, right? Uh, Visa was literally their, you know, their corporate cards, right? How do they go and sell a corporate card to Delta Airlines or, you know, those kinds of places? So, uh, it, but 90% of my clients are SaaS related. And how many clients are you working with today? Uh, I usually take on about two to three per month. Um, I can capacity more because of the way I revamp the program, they're shorter days and I don't have to travel. Um, anything more than about five clients in a month, though, is a lot, at least for me, I can do more. I just, you know, at some point I, you know, I don't need to grind that hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so five so clients startup, right? Like I'm not trying to go public. I'm not trying to do those things. I've built a really nice, uh, healthy business. That's more than a lifestyle business, but, um, you know, I love the fact that I'm home for my kids every day and all those kinds of things. So five sort of five coaching clients at any time sort of paying, you know, call it two grand per month. Again, that's a great business, right? Uh, for, for yourself, you're doing a lot of thought leadership too. Now you've done this since 2013. Um, obviously your model changes over time. There's a lot of folks in this space, you know, my first sales book was Neil Rackham's spin selling back in the day. Uh, and there's a lot of new sales books coming out all the time. Have you put out sort of any books? Like, tell me more about what NEAT means. So, yeah, thank you for asking me. I'm in the process of writing it. You know, I have been for about two years and I got lazy about it, but now I've actually committed to it. There's a great service out there that I found that really guides you through like nine steps. A book in a box? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is not kind of. It is a book in a box. And so I need that leverage. I need that piece because otherwise I'll just 
get distracted. So I'm a, a you know, super open about things. I'm very focused on mental health and I have ADHD. So if I don't have uh, parameters around me, it makes things a little bit harder. Yeah. L- let's talk uh, about Gainsight. Because again, Nick has come on many times, right? So last time he was on the show uh, was back in late 2019. He talked about flirting with a $70 million run rate. He talked about 700 customers. They'd obviously raised and they, they've raised a bunch of money, but his team size was 700. And I asked him, how many quota carrying sales reps do you have? And he said 22. And I also then looked up what the past reps were on LinkedIn. In other words, ones that were at Gainsight now are not at Gainsight anymore. And there were 36. So there's a lot of sort of churn in the sales team. The annual quota target, he told me, was $800,000 for those quota carrying reps. Right. Break down this system for me. Where do you think it scales? Where does it break? Should other people copy this? Yeah. So I think that the answer to that is everything's an experiment the first two years in sales, right? There is no, here's the playbook for everybody, right? Because you have to figure out what product market fit. You don't have product market fit or 10 or 20 customers. I just learned this yesterday from a, from a VC in Austin. Um, and, and I really thought it was interesting is that at 20 customers, you got a baseline, you got to get to 50 to really decide if you've got the right market fit. And he was talking in a very specific niche so that, you know, obviously there's a little bit of difference there. So what I think the key piece is bringing on that closer first. You need to bring in the closer who knows how to do it without the process being built. That's the question you're asking me. And yeah, you do want a sales process, but not super early on, not with your first, second or third rep. Maybe by the time you get to your second or third, you start to figure out what your first process is. And even then I call it a process hypothesis because it's going to change. I can assure you that what Nick put together uh, way back when, when I was there and we talked about creating the stages is probably very different than what it is now. Mm-hmm. And as an early stage founder and even a mid stage or even Nick, you should be looking to break it. What do we, what do, what do we need to do? And, and the key thing that I'm always trying to encourage companies to do is Break it so that the experience is better for your customers, right? Going back to your customers and saying, hey, you're a great customer. You came through our process. What did we mess up in the process? Where could we have done better? What did we not deliver soon enough to you? Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, is you, need to, you need to understand when you're going to go after enterprise, what that means, right? Enterprise is not SDR teams and stuff like that. you got to understand how they choose to evaluate something, how they evaluate it, what procurement looks like, what secure infosec looks like. Like it's a whole other enterprise world. So Richard, that, well, I answered the question. That was a lot of answers to one yeah, okay. Yeah. So when you joined, Gainsight was founded in 2012. So you joined in 2013, which is about a year in. What was the size of the team at that point? You remember? I mean, it was, it was 15 people in the company. And how many sales reps? I want to say there was one to two sales reps plus Nick. Okay. And Nick is learning how to sell at that stage. So um, this is a big question. Should founders do the first million dollars of sales themselves? Or yeah. should the founder bring in the first sales rep? Yeah, 1,000%. Founders need to do the first part of sales. Um, I don't know if it needs to be a number like a million. Like it depends on sort of what the, you know, they need to do it so they can understand the motion at the, at the early stage, right? At the pre-series A or series A level. So founders absolutely have to do it. What founders also have to do is they got to realize that their reps are never going to be able to close at their ratio in most cases because they're the founder. 
They walk into the room and Nathan's like, this is the founder. I've got rapport with Nick. If something breaks, I'm calling Nick. Yeah. Right. Like that's the whole thing. And so many founders and CEOs forget that piece and particularly technical founders, technical founders who aren't used to carrying a bag and carrying quota. They feel pressures in different ways, but it's, but it's not the same. And they forget this, that, 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 that they're buying the founder as much as they're buying the service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes good sense. Now, when, um, does that first sales hire always get promoted to essentially the head of sales, the VP of sales? No, I don't think you should. Um, let me rephrase that. I don't think that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the first salesperson who wants to come in. You need to give them good equity, not, you know, bogus, you know, here's a thousand shares or 10,000 shares. You need to give that, that first rep equity. And you do need to have the conversation with them about, do you want to be in leadership? Do you want to be in management? But it's certainly never a promise, right? What I do tell people to do is hire um, the aspirational rep, hire the, you know, the director of sales who doesn't mind going down and building, right? Taking a step back and being a rep, but also has a chip on their shoulder to get promoted, to go and hire the VP of sales. And I see this all the time. If I go see people hire VPs of sales from places like Oracle or some other big company as their first rep, the biggest challenge, the biggest reason they don't work out is because they haven't actually built something from the bottom up. They haven't built a process from the bottom up. They've never built a sales playbook and a sales script. Like it's been so long since they've been in the trenches that that's what it, that's often what I see happen. So I want you to go find the person and give them the shot they deserve because their current company has bought into some, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can curse, but they bought into some false belief system that, oh, we need a title. We need a pedigree. So Got it. For say, SaaS companies exclusively, what ACV is too low? to have an inside sales rep on it. There's not enough margin to pay commission. Well, if you define inside sales as an SDR. Someone that's making, that has a quota target that's making a commission. Well, that the, so SDR appointment setter is different than an inside sales rep. Look, I can, you know, you, I would easily hire inside sales over outside sales any day of the week. I've always been an inside sales. I've never been a, war, a, a windshield warrior. And I thought it was... Wait, Richard, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the question is, there's a price point that is too low to put human touch on it, whether it's an SDR, an AE, or a oh, CEO, I see whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think it's... My guess is it's in that less than $3.99 a month range, right? Or $3.99 a year might be the right... It really just depends, right? Like, How would you um, make that work? If you're selling... If someone's listening right now and they're trying to learn from you and they sell a price point that's 500 bucks per year, how can they put touch on that and have it be profitable with the sales? So that's all about, so that to me, so I don't swim in this pond, right? A lot of clients, I don't have these clients. My guess is that's a self-serve model, whatever that product or service is. Well, that's my question, right? So how right. high does the price point need to be where it's not a self-serve model? They can make the non-self-serve model work. Uh, I think it's got to be... I think it's got to be a couple hundred bucks a month. It's got to get to $2,500 a year for it to be worthy of some level of touch. Got it. Right? Um, and there's a difference between certain levels of touch versus, you know, a closing role. Mm -hmm. um, I also think too, that if it's a technical product, right. Um, then, you know, those technical people don't really want to talk to salespeople in general. So, you know, it's, it depends on what you're building. 
DevOps motion. Yeah. Talk to, can you name a SaaS company you're working with today? Yeah, I can name several of them. Uh, I've worked with Achievers in the last year. I've worked with a company called Force Therapeutics all of this quarter, um, which is doing some cool stuff in the medical field. I've worked with um, working with uh, JFrog. I'm working with a couple other, you know, I mean, there's more, but I. Focusing on JFrog for a second, one of the major um, valuation drivers of SaaS at scale is their ability to drive net revenue retention above 130, 140%, which means there right. has to be a motion to drive expansion revenue. If right. I'm paying you to coach me, are you telling me to have my account executives manage expansion after the sale or is that the CSM rep? Uh, I'm going to defer to Nick on that question. <laughs> um, it's, it's whoever is comfortable doing it, right? And where their strength is. There are plenty of customer success people who don't want to grow revenue and sell. And that's okay. Part of the challenge with customer success is they've been, fault, been fed a false belief system that sales is bad, right? So that's the first narrative you got to get over. It also depends on where you want your team going after net new business. You're going to have some AEs who are great at net new business. You're going to have some who are account managers. And that's what I've seen in the last couple of years. You have AEs who go after a net new. You have account managers who focus on growth and expansion. And then you even have customer success, which is a little bit more about onboarding. Right. So like, as we've seen, the sales motion keeps getting specialized. Now you have to be a certain level and a certain uh, type of expense to have that account manager between sales and customer success, because you also don't want to make your experience for your customer bad either with like, who the hell am I supposed to talk to? Yeah. Last question here on driving that expansion revenue, regardless of which, you know, function group is responsible for driving it. Are you doing a group quota and a group target or individual quotas, just like the initial sales rep? I think it's both. I think there's there's value in supporting each other um, and getting away from that old school, I'm not going to share my practices with you. And I think there's value in giving an individual quota so that people can feel something. I, I'm looking for your opinion, though, based off the data set you have. Uh, I know there's value in both, but I, I want, I, do you have, you must have a, a, do you have a strong opinion here? Yeah, my strong opinion is it is both. Like, okay, so how would you structure it? If there's a team listening right now that has 30 sales or that's 30 account managers that are in charge of driving expansion revenue, how would you structure individual quotas plus group quota tied to expansion targets? Yeah. So I think you have to look at it by role. Like, so customer success might get a smaller individual piece and a bigger team piece, whereas the account manager might get a bigger individual piece and a smaller team piece, right? I also, I also think that this is that part where, and I don't think people do it nearly enough, is that there should always be a, a, a smidge of equity into this goal, right? Like the more you give back to your team and they feel like they have ownership of the organization, the longer they're going to stay, which is a whole other issue we haven't talked about in terms of retention. Yeah. I mean, so is it a good or bad thing that Nick has churned through 36 sales reps? I think it's fine. And in, in this many years? Yeah. Are you kidding? That's actually low. Right. Statistically, I see about one in three reps actually making it on a regular basis. So I don't think that that's bad at all. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Richard. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Favorite business book um, lately has been um, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, not really. I, I, because I'm, and the reason is because I'm writing something. I'm very conscious of what I absorb these days. And because I want to make sure that I write something that's authentic and don't accidentally borrow something. 
Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building uh, your consulting business? For building my consulting business, um, it's probably been Instapage lately. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Eight, nine. And, and what's your situation? Married, single kids? Married, two kids, uh, 12 and 11. And how old are you? I'm 52. 52. Last question. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? To shut the fuck up and listen to people. Like, <laughs> and take advice. I was, I was an old school Gen X. I, would, I was a Gen Xer who always thought I knew what was going to happen and how to do it, which sounds very millennial-ish, but Gen X was worse at it because because we were latchkey kids, we were forced to figure it out on our own, which is a different belief system than millennials who have access to data that I didn't have. Guys, Harris Consulting Group launched in 2013. Our second customer was Gainsight. They got into Gainsight when the company's only doing 100 grand, 200 grand a year in revenue. Helped Nick sell, help his first two sales reps sell. Today, he works with anywhere between four and sort of five customers per month. The customers pay caught two grand per month. He does caught 10 grand a month in consulting revenue. Again, servicing these spaces consulting on everything related to the sales motion, especially in SaaS, thinks that that uh, that expansion revenue target should be more of a group deal on the CSM side and more of an individual deal on the AM side. It's a trend. It's a hot topic right now. We'll see what happens. But Richard, thanks for taking us to the top. Nathan, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it for having me on. Sorry, I'm used to doing my podcast, but thank you. <laughs> thanks.